Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. We are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of Greenlink Networks, which is a voice over IP channel only. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to take that pain away from some of the new guys. I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues. My name is Craig Hickman. I'm with ProBlue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a managed service provider. We started in 2005. I started with three employees and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way. My name is Joe Ucia. I'm the CEO for Infinite IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're an MSP. We're currently about a dozen employees. We were originally founded in 1999. I believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share their mind share on how to overcome issues. I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago. I hope that you got a lot out of this podcast. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe, and Craig. Hi, and welcome back to the next episode of IT4 Whiskey. My name is Joe Ucia from Infinite IT out of Toronto, Canada, and I'm accompanied by two of my best buds in the whole world, Craig Hickman from ProBlue and the famous Myron Herrera, CEO of the year and CEO of Greenlink Networks and Cinetech. That's a, that's a mouthful there, buddy. Wow. You know how I do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on, boys? How's, how are we doing this, um, I guess I'll call it the second wave era? It is what it is. You know, I, I got to be grateful that I made a career decision to come into technology when I did many, many years ago because it's been good. The year's been good. Life is good. Got a new way of doing things, but roll with the punches, right? Yeah. I mean, we can rant about it all day. Is that what you want to do? Is that, I think, I think we should do that. Craig, you know what? I want to open up the topic to you today. And considering you're the best ranter I've ever met in my life. What, uh, my first rant is, what is with kale? I don't understand <laughs> kale. What's the purpose of kale? So, you know, we got his Vitamix and it's great. I love the Vitamix. I put stuff in it. I blend it up. My wife forces me to put kale in it. And the next thing I know, it tastes like grass. <laughs> And I'm not talking about the type of smoke. I'm talking the type you eat off the ground in Dirty the backyard. Grass. And I don't care what you do, you cannot cover up the taste of kale. Apples. Apples. I don't, oranges, apples, bananas. I've tried it all, baby. Kale is kale. And I have terms and names for kale, but we're just going to stick with that. That's all I got right now. It's kale's, kale's not my friend. <laughs> you know when you have too much kale? When you start ranting about it? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's like it's like the spinach on crack or something. I don't understand. All right, so let's let's talk about business though. This this podcast is about business. Today's subject is rants from the MSP. What are some of the rants that we have as MSP owners? That wasn't the topic, but okay, let's go. Let's go with that. <laughs> I think we should just go with it. It's, you know, especially since you know we have Craig, the king of ranting, as you clearly just heard about his kale rant. As an MSP owner. What are some of the rants that we have this year? 
I, I think one of my top one is timelines that are not even close to being agreeable. Like when you go buy that kale and the, this expiration date is like two days later. <laughs> no, I don't think kale ever goes bad. I don't think it goes bad. <laughs> like I found kale in the refrigerator that's probably like a month old and it's still green. Oh, jeez. It's not brown yet. And it still tastes horrible. Still blended up in the Vitamix. Vitamix has no, uh, it doesn't care what it is. It'll grind everything up. Right. I've got a Vitamix as well, and I put kale in my stuff. I think it's the, the percentage that you're putting in, the portion control, man. Control the portions. You can't put more than 10, 15% kale, and it tastes good. You put more than that, and it's like cardboard. So one of the things I have a problem with is when you meet with a new prospect, and you're working on a proposal and they expect you to be able to turn this around within a day or two. This is the first time you've seen the network, the design, you're trying to audit everything. And they're like two or three days later, like, hey, where's my quote? I'm st- I'm still working on it. It's like, are you guys too busy for me? Is that why you can't get me a quote? Uh, no, it's not that. I'd like to be accurate with my quotes. I can give you something. You may not like it. It'll be awesome. And it's a struggle any way you put it, because if you put out, you ask for more, let's say you ask for more information or, or whatever, and then they're like dragging their feet on it, but then they want a response. They want to, it, it, it's, it's a struggle. We're currently working on a, on a proposal with somebody that's in the company that has worked with us before and brought us in as a, as a referral. And they're struggling to get the stuff to us, but then they're asking for a proposal. And then we finally give the proposal and now they're dragging their feet. But they feel that the price is, uh, you know, is equal to what they're paying now. So it, it's like, what the hell? So it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. I mean, I haven't found the formula. Joe, do you have a formula? It is a nice formula. If I had to put my stats in baseball terms, I'm hitting 990 with this formula. It really works. It does. And what we did, here's a little bit of an insider tip. Ready for this? Spill the beans or the kale. I'll spill the kale. I didn't have beans today. I did have some kale. Simplicity is key. The more you complicate it for the customer to understand, the longer the sales cycle is. So we've gotten to the point that I actually have redacted a bunch of of what we do and what's included. And I've simplified the formula for the customer. Craig, you and I should have a conversation offline later because I can turn manage service contracts around in 30 seconds. I don't care who the company is. I can do that too, Joe. <laughs> no, no. And it's accurate. Yeah, but it's the, the, the problem is not, it's, the problem is not the managed service agreements. It's, it's the project. Stuff. I'm talking about complex solutions and I'm not talking about just turning a managed service quote around. Oh, we're done. So, but we're MSPs and the, 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 the discussion is an MSP rant, right? So now we're talking about Side projects that in that well, you still do projects. Yeah, right. I get it. I was taking it. Yeah, from a an uh, like a side project side. Yeah, okay, I get that. That makes total sense. I agree with you on that. It's 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 rare to show up at a client site and just do pure MSP. I I walk in, it's just a total cluster, and I have to get it up to speed in order for it to be an MSP site. There's typically a project that's locked in. So that's a great discussion. Like when you come in to a prospect, and you're you are pitching MSP because that's what they need, but you see that they're not up to par. How do you deal with it? Do you give them the MSP contract and they have to sign the project or? I'll answer that question. If they don't want to commit to a term, then they're paying for the project. But if you commit to a five-year term, I don't care what needs to be done. It's included. 
Recently, I was reading something from StatsCan, government agency that does stats, and they talk about the typical lifespan in a B2B subscription market. And overall, not technology focused, but overall, it's 7.8 years. That is your typical lifespan. The way I kind of look at it is I said, all right, if I know I'm going to have this customer for at least five years, I now look at what my total opportunity is with that, that customer for five years. So if I can somehow amortize the cost of what that project would be over the first, let's say, two and a half years or two years, it makes sense for everyone. And then the upside to me is over the, the last end of the contracts, just gravy. And other things will come up along the way. So it kind of always works out. It's a win-win for everyone, right? I, know, I do know that there was uh, many customers that we have that we were bidding on. It was competitive, not that it was a public bid. And our competition was going in saying, hey, you know what? It's going to be a hundred grand to start and then X dollars a month and on a three year term. And when you look at what that three year cost is for, because that's how customers think, what is it going to cost me over three years? My first year is going to be a hundred grand plus the subscription. And then I got two more years of cost. What's that total cost? And we come and we say, look, it's going to be so much a month over the course of five years. Granted, it's two extra years. We're going to be higher. However, there's no upfront cost. So from a cash flow perspective, we're talking pre-COVID as well, right? Cash flow wise, no problem. Customers get it. They're like, all right, so you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. And that's, that's the way we kind of approach it. But the key is they have to sign for five years. If they do not sign for five years, then it's not free. Yeah, that, that's a good, it's a good process. And uh, the, my worry there would be probably one of our next rants, which is, when four years down the line, there's new ownership, a new VP, and he says, well, I never signed into this. This was the previous person. And now we want out on the contract, you know, and now you have to get legal involved in all this other stuff. Right. Well, the reality is this. So as an MSP, you hold a lot of keys to their environment, right? So we hold the keys to the, to the kingdom. And ironically, we try to take on things like their internet services, their phone services, their DIDs, their DNS services. So we try to capture it all. So the reality is, is if you really want to go down that path, I own it all anyways, you can't screw me because I'll shut your business down. Now, have we ever invoked that right? No. Would we ever invoke that right? No, that's not who we are. We're not shysters that way. But at the end of the day, if push came to shove, then it is what it is, right? Like you're trying to screw me now. It's no longer we're partners. We've become enemies and you're trying to flat out screw me. So how is this right? So, so I'm going to give you an example. And it's, it's a very recent uh, example. It's a small account on the GreenLink side. And we're going to talk about a GreenLink account. Let's say it's 10 phones and they, they've been with us for three years. They renewed their contract renewed in February. Now the business is going out of business. I'm assuming it's because of COVID or whatnot. So they're saying, well, you know, help us cancel this contract. And I'm like, well, you still have a give or take a year left. What, what do you want me to do? <laughs> We've provided some COVID relief to fix that, which is we've provided a few months for free, no service, and those that are having you know issues with COVID, but it still leaves the contract for what it is. So how would you deal with that? I got one question. So those two months that you gave them relief, did that add, extend the contract, right? Yes. Okay, then that's fair. I just want to clarify that. Because what you said in, in one of our previous episodes earlier this year, I just wanted to make sure there was continuity for our listeners. That's all. It does extend the contract. You know, you got to take care of yourself. Oh, right? absolutely. I didn't make it up. <laughs> right. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>
No, absolutely. We got to take care of ourselves because we got staff we have to pay. We have service and stuff. And our partners sold that account and they're expecting a commission for that account. It's a delicate balance, but some partners would say, I don't care about the commission, release the account. And then some others would say, you know, hell no, I worked so hard to close that account. I am expecting that commission. So, but regardless of that, my point is that you sign a contract, you're getting pricing specific to that contract and services. So you should be, you should be getting that. So another rant that I have is not only do customers have expect us to, to do a lot of things that are out of scope and, and get all their, their, their IT in order, but they also expect it to be done in a week. We just onboarded a new customer. We started it about 60 days ago and we took over from another MSP and the environment was such a disaster. Like if I tell you disaster, I have never seen this before, but there are 50 users and they had six domain controllers. Think about that. Six domain controllers. Every, every like eight people needed domain DC. Like it was just nuts. Anyways, aside from the fact that they actually had officially, we've identified spyware that was spying on the company and reporting back to overseas. And officially, they had five viruses running on, the, on one of the DCs that actually gave remote access. They had a rat tool on and everything. Like, it was a disaster. So how can I go in to an environment like that and onboard them in a week? Not possible, right? A big rant I have about new customers is unrealistic expectations. So what I do, though, is I spend a lot of time in the beginning to set and reset those expectations. And we, ha- we do on every service ticket, we actually give whoever opens the ticket the opportunity to fill out a survey and give feedback. And a few of them came back really low. And when I say really low, you know, normally we hit a high 90s uh, CSAT rating. These were all like 50%. So red flag immediately. And I called them directly and I said, look, why did you give us such a bad rating? And the answer was, this is just taking too long. So I had to reset their expectations and re-explain it to them because clearly from management, it didn't flow down to the staff and they didn't know what was going on. What we did do is as a company, we have a policy that we listen to the feedback and we'll tweak things as reasonable, like when it's reasonable. And we basically said, you know what? I now assign to one, one of my, my staff the responsibility that as we're doing the onboarding, we're going to give the person at the customer templated emails to send out to set expectations yeah. for the staff. That's important. That's important. So, so we, on the Cinetech side, our onboarding takes no, no less than 30 days. It doesn't matter if it's one user. That's what we set it for. And then, you know, obviously if somebody needs a rush or whatever, we, we try to push it and, and get it done earlier. But the expectation is one month. And then we, if it's a larger organization and somebody's communicating to the, all the users and whatnot, we make sure that those templated emails are out that says we've hired a new MSP. They're going through the onboarding. We're expecting the go live to be on such and such day, you know, blah, 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 all those things. That's important. And I get it. I, we charge for our onboarding on the MSP side, right? So we charge for the onboarding and some people are reluctant to charge for it. And I, I, I think all MSPs should charge for the onboarding. If you're not, you're leaving money on the table and you're setting the wrong expectation to the customers. I agree. And we typically, we actually always charge for onboarding, but 
As a part of our 2020 incentive program, we're waiving the onboarding, calling it a COVID relief fee, which there is a hard cost to us and there's a lot, but we've we've been waiving it as of recent until the end of the year and then it'll go back. We'll start charging again because I agree with you. You have to charge. If you waive it, that's fine. You're now showing that as a as a an opportunity for the customer. You can say, look, your onboarding fee is X, Y, Z or X number of dollars. We're going to throw it in. And that's fine. That's what you do as a business, but you need to have that. They need, they need to see the value or the cost of including what you were saying earlier with, with giving the project within the, the contract to kind of just ease the, the entry point. That's okay too. As long as you point it out, look, this, this is the value that you're getting. You can't just throw it in there and not let them know what the value or the cost is of the, of those things. A lot of people make that mistake. I agree. So we show it actually on the contract and on our proposal. We actually write down what all the setup fees are. And then we'll put, we actually have a special line item that's called COVID discount. And (laughs) you you added a line item. That's nice. Right. And the reason why we did that is, one, I can now track how much I've actually spent as a company in COVID funding because I now can track that. And two, the understanding that the customer has is, oh my God, I did get a benefit. So it's, it's a win-win. There's no, there's no loser in it. Well, the only loser is us that didn't charge the money, but... No, you're not a loser. It's just, you're just spreading goodwill. One of the things that we're doing is that we're saying to the customer, okay, you have this project and uh, I don't know, we're, we're migrating you to Office 365 and you have an exchange server. Well, here's what we'll do. The cost of the migration, we'll split it up into 12 monthly payments. Just pay whatever fees or whatever that's, that's costing us, you pay that, but the cost of the labor or whatever, we'll split it up into monthly payments. It creates more cash flow for us. It, you know, it makes it easier for them, you know, so it, it all works out. And I, and I think that's, that's been something that's helped us close a lot of deals through the COVID pandemic, where maybe some people would say now is not a good time because we don't have the, we don't want to throw all the capital out there or whatnot. Just remind me, is this the ranting episode? (laughs) We're still ranting. I'm just throwing some good advice. Let me ask you a a question, Craig. Uh, Earlier this year, we talked about customers paying their bills and what some of the expectations were. We touched on PPP. We touched on some of the government programs. Specifically in episodes uh, 37 and 38, we really went into detail about what will happen and how we're going to handle things. Do you have any rants about how things transpired over the last few months? And have you been taken advantage of? I don't want to say it that way. Like, have you had any customers that didn't pay or made excuses? Or I only have one customer that's been religiously 90 to 120 days late on payment, but they continue to pay. They're just way behind. But it's a large customer, so I'm not really worried about it. They're just taking advantage of the situation and deciding not to pay in their vendors any on any timely matter. There used to be 30 days out, fine, but now it's like 90 to 120 days. The only thing I've noticed that's interesting is um, companies that businesses that did take advantage of the PPP, they have really have invested a lot in their infrastructure and their people. And then those who did not have had to let lots of people go and disable services they can no longer afford because they failed to take advantage of the uh, of the money that was available. And then the other thing that's weird is the banking system that has come out of the woodwork bothering customers and trying to get them to take on loans that they probably don't need. 
And that, that was interesting to see some of that communication, which I thought was poor timing on their part, because it's just the banks trying to capitalize the cheap money that the government is giving out and trying to earn their interest rate on, on that on that loan. I got a, I got a question for you, uh, talking specifically at PPP and how it affected some of your customers. I was listening to another podcast recently, and they were talking about um, how a lot of small businesses, uh, this owner in particular was a restaurant owner, PPP actually caused more problems for them than good. And primarily because they were down to less than 10% of their traditional revenues, and the employees were able to make more money on employment insurance than they would by coming back to work. How has that had any effect on your business with your customers? The hospitality industry here in this town, they were having a hard time finding anybody. They were desperately looking for employees. How is EI pay more than a job? You, you got to look at it this way, uh, specifically for the, for the hospitality, right? Especially like restaurants and whatnot. It's very minimal, minimum rate wage. And then what they're supposed to make their, their, their money on is a lot on the commission. So what happens is that with the unemployment benefit, they're getting more than their minimum wage, especially with the kickback that they're getting because of the stimulus. Um, I forget what the name of the, of the program is for that. So that was difficult because people weren't going out restaurants and things like that. So, but, but let me ask you something. Maybe I don't understand the U.S. way because in Canada, you can only make up to 55% of your income in employment insurance. Hard stop. Like you don't get more. So how is it that I can make more not working than I could working? It's different. Because it's commissions, it's different. Let's call it, you know, a waiter, right? Or a server or something. They may be making, you know, two times more in commissions than they are with their base. So the unemployment is based on base, not the commission piece. Exactly. Right. So the question is, how can a server that works at a restaurant make more money on employment insurance than they do on... And here's another difference, I guess. You guys in the US call it unemployment insurance. We actually call it employment insurance. And the difference is perspective. Well, we don't call it an insurance. Employment, un- unemployment. <laughs> yeah, but it's money you're getting. Yeah, I know. Yeah, benefit. It's a benefit. It's not. A, it's not an insurance. It's a benefit. It's an unemployment benefit. So we call it EI, employment insurance, and it's because I was working and I want to continue working. Uh, it's helping me bridge the gap to get employed again, right? So the perspective is. I, I guess the objective is the same, but the perspective is slightly different. But. The question I have is, is that your, is that your rent? No, the question I have isn't that. The question is, <laughs> how is that affecting you guys as MSP owners? Cause I know how it's affecting us and people just want to get back to work because their benefits are way lower than what they would get paid at a job. It depends on what kind of your customer, you know, if your customer base is hospitality, then, then you're going to, you may be feeling the pain. In, in our case, for, for it has not affected us or Greenlink in reality because we don't, we don't really have, hospitality customers there's one client that we had that that um, is 50 percent hospitality their customers are hospitality so they took a they took a little bit of a hit but they've they've bounced back relatively quickly because of other reasons so it, it hasn't really affected us but i i do know some msps that are specifically working with restaurants and franchises and things like that those those guys are taking a hit and you guys know who, who you are so it's 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 tough it's tough but the, but the PPP, I'll tell you what, the, like the PPP money and the EIDL, 
you know, the idol. Like Craig says, those that did not take advantage of that and that they're not well positioned financially, are, you're seeing those those payments struggle. Um, and those that are taking the, take, took advantage of the PPP and, and, and whatnot potentially are keeping up to their normal standards. And uh, hopefully businesses become back to usual for them and nobody hurts. And that's, that was the whole point of the PPP and the EIDL is to, you know, have continuity through, through, a, through a period of, you know, uncertainty. So, Craig, let me ask you another question. Sure. What are you drinking today? Oh, I am drinking Russell's Reserve. It is a single barrel. Kentucky Straight Bourbon. This one, however, tasted like uh, Cheerios. Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios or regular Cheerios? No, not Honey Nut. Oh, actually, no. It does taste like Honey Nut Cheerios a little bit. It's very good. It's kind of like sweet, roasted taste to it. So what are you drinking, Joe? I actually went back to the Smooth Ambler that I was drinking in the last episode. I actually... You know what? I kind of like it. I, I had, as you guys saw, I had sushi for lunch, and this really went well with it. So it um, contradiction bourbon. It is a blend, though. I didn't realize that until today that it's actually a blend of bourbon whiskeys. So it's not a straight bourbon or single cask. But the 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 interesting thing though is if you look on the back, it actually says who bottled it and what the batch number was, and. I didn't know that either. So I thought that was actually pretty neat. So this has been bottled by a guy named James and is, you know, batch number 308. But it is a blend of straight bourbons. Nonetheless, I actually kind of like it. 46%, 92 proof. Got a little bit of a buzz to it. Um, Nice body, good caramel flavor. Perfect. I'm drinking this, this bottle. It's called Rabbit Hole. I had never seen it before. It was recommended to me. Supposedly, it won gold at the World Spirit Competition in San Francisco. It's okay. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever buy another bottle. It's got four grains to it. 70% corn, 10% wheat, 10% barley, 10% honey, malted barley. You know, so if you see it, you can pick up a bottle and try it. I wouldn't say it's anything crazy. Well, I, I will say the, the, the bottle of uh, Smooth Ambler Contradiction, not bad. I would not recommend it as a standalone sipping type thing like some others we drink, but it, it's, it's got a lot of body. How's the body on that one? I'm not, I'm not excited about it. Fair enough. Well, you know what I think we should do, boys? I think my proposal to the two of you, I'm going to put it out there, you tell me what you think. As a a theme going forward, maybe we do in the next episode, is we all pick up a bottle of Japanese whiskey and we review Japanese. And then maybe the next episode we'll do a different uh, country and we'll do or different distilleries and whatnot. Or different alcohol. Or different alcohol. Like, let's expand our horizons. I mean, how much much can we talk about whiskey in general, right? So, Well, we can talk a lot about whiskey. But I, I do want to have one episode that we all dedicate to tequila because, you know what? There's some good tequilas out there, as I recently oh, learned. Oh, now you want to talk about tequila. I recently <laughs> learned um, that one of the things that happened as a byproduct of COVID was, yes, tequila. So, on that note, I say we wrap today's episode. It was a little bit of a rant and ramble, but uh, I think, you know, we're getting our bearings back. We're back on and, uh, you know, a few episodes in since we took a break. If you have any thoughts, if you have any feedback, if you'd like to hear about a topic in particular, please 
email us. Yeah, absolutely. We got to bring in a guest. We got to bring a guest back in. Oh, yeah, we will. We got some good, actually, as we were talking the other day, we have some good guests that are coming. So stay tuned. Got some really interesting guests coming. Absolutely. All right, Kevin, do your magic. That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at it4whiskey.com. Yo. I don't understand kale. What's the purpose of kale? Oh, we're still recording. Kevin's chicken pet. Yes, you did. <laughs> Cha-cha. Cha-cha. Cha-cha.